Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. How much are you letting your fears determine your life path? Are you making excuses instead of taking the next big step? And are you allowing your past to rob you of your power to create the future? Author, speaker, and entrepreneur Kamal Ravikant is back to discuss his latest book, Rebirth. It's a great story with a ton of practical lessons laid out over a 550 mile long hike through Spain called the Camino de Santiago. Welcome to The New Man. Today we're talking with Kamal Ravikant. He wrote one of my favorite books called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. He's a speaker, serial tech entrepreneur, and he's the managing partner of Evolve VC, which is a Silicon Valley venture fund. He's also got a new book called Rebirth, A Fable of Love, Forgiveness, and Following Your Heart. Good to have you back, my man. Great to be back, man. Yeah. Great to be back. It's yeah. been a while. It's been a while. It's good to have been you. Been a couple of years. Well, I was just, yeah, that's what I'm 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 curious cuz you know, we had a few conversations and I know that you've been kind of you, you go through the process when you write your books and I know it's they're deeply personal, deeply intense and then you come out with Rebirth. It's it's a departure. It's different than your previous books which are more kind of about your life. Um how much of you is in this book? How much of this is autobiographical? Um, interesting enough, I'd say I took an experience that happened in my life when I was in my late 20s. And so that part is autobiographical. I did watch, walk the Camino Santiago after my dad died. Uh, so I took that as a foundation. And then I used that to create the story to actually share a lot of the lessons that I've learned in my life. Like the key lessons, right? Yeah. But tell it through a story. Yeah. Um, so it's a, this is probably the most deeply personal book I've written, honestly. So even though, it's, even though it's kind of fiction, it's mm-hmm. still just got so much packed into it, which is from your life. Yeah. And not just from my life, but like things that I truly have like believe and try to live. And but, you know, every character when you're writing is, is, is an extension of you. Yeah. It's just like fun to do that. They come out with different uh, different extensions of you. So you can give them personalities and have them go do their own thing. Yeah. But yeah, this is the, this is by far the most personal book I've ever written, but I think also the most, um, in some ways, also incredibly practical. 
I don't want it just to be like a, just a story for the sake of story, you know? More practical meaning like here's a ton of knowledge, here's a ton of wisdom, here's a ton of lessons, and you can go use it? that what you mean? Yeah, but also like layering it. The, the great thing about storytelling is you can layer in truths in a way, and then they come through the story arc and they reappear through different forms. So that by the time the reader's done with the, with the story, they've actually been absorbed within in an interesting way. Uh-huh. You know, like, like, look, man, like storytelling is what makes humans different from uh, any other primate or any other animal, right? <laughs> I hope I so. mean, really. Among right? other things, yeah, yeah. Among other things, yeah, opposable yeah. thumbs and storytelling. <laughs> so, like, like, like so there's something really special to the art of being able to pass along um, wisdom, you know, one's life wisdom in a story rather than here, lesson one, lesson two, bullet right. points, lesson three. Right. You know, and I think it gets absorbed better and gets passed along better. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I know that I like to tell stories, you know, when I'm like, hey, here's what happened with me and a client and he was here and now he's with this happened and then now he's there. It's just so much easier. I think it accesses a different part of our brain. We've got yep. we've got so much time evolving, you know, sitting around campfires telling stories that our our brain is is more tuned to that. It's more tuned to learn that way, I think, than like, here's the idea, here's the next idea, here's the next idea, so to speak. You nailed it. You yeah. absolutely nailed it. And so that's so this this has got more of a fable kind of a kind of yeah. an aspect to it. And um, give us kind of the basic setting for the story. You mentioned the Camino de Santiago. What is that? If I've never heard of that, what is that? What are we talking about? The Camino de Santiago is a five hundred fifty mile, so it's like eight hundred kilometers five, uh, mile walk through Spain from one end of Spain to the other, northwest Spain, all the way from the Pyrenees, uh, French Spanish. French Spanish border and the Pyrenees Mountains, all the way basically to the Atlantic Ocean. And it's been around since the 11th century. And it turns out a lot of people walk it every year. And I kind of stumbled on it accidentally when I was, I think, 26 or 25, I uh, was backpacking. And um, it was one of those things that I did in my life that actually changed my life. Um, because, you know, I'm not religious. And, and most of the people I met along the way weren't religious. I, you know, it, people just walk in this thing for their own letting go of things or for like even as a sport or just trying to figure things out, you know, you get away from your basic life and you put yourself in a situation like they were in your foreign country and you every day, all you do is you get up and walk west mm. and the adventures you have along the way. By 35, 36 days, you are transformed. You're a better version of yourself. I just want to underline that. I want to underline 35, <clears throat> 36 days. I just, that's just amazing. Some people think of like, oh, I'm going to go do this afternoon workshop and expect some yeah. kind of life-changing thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this online course and I'm going to get it. No, yeah. 30, 35 days walking. Okay, I just had to do the work. Step by step by step. Yeah. You know, it's like, it really is, man. Um, and it's such a great metaphor for everything. And the best part is, is the serendipity, you know, because it's the people you meet along the way who interact with your journey that actually creates your journey. Which you don't is, know who the like, teachers are going to be, right? It, nope. it's, it's just, it could be the, the, the guy that almost run, runs you over or the person that you walk with for a day or two, or just, it's all just whatever shows up. Yeah. It's a great microcosm, like, uh, for life. You know, if you want to just encapsulate, like, you know, accelerating your life and life lessons into like a month, that this is a great way to do it. Okay. And uh, I, I know this isn't a commercial for the, the Camino de Santiago to go out there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend of mine, I was going through a tough period. Oh, gosh, man, it must have been about 10 years ago or so. And and he was like, yeah, you got to do the Camino. And, and then he described it to me. I was like, I kind of filed it over in the, if things get really bad, I'll go do the Camino. But hopefully, <laughs> I, won't, I won't have to. Um, but I, I, you, you say you stumbled on it. Get, how did you stumble on doing a 550-mile walk? 
be honest to God truth, I was really drunk and trying to impress an Italian woman. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the honest to God truth, man. Oh, you were drunk yeah. trying to impress an Italian so woman. Like bumming my way across, across uh, I'd stop there. I was bumming my way with very little money and I was a friend take me to this woman's house and she was just beautiful, like holy shit. I, I was, excuse my language, but I was like mad. Like in one night, I was in love, and she would tell me about it. And I was trying to impress her, so I said to go walk in. And next morning, I woke up somewhat sober, realizing, um, you know, I just said that to impress her, try to come with me. But realizing, you know what? Maybe I think I will because I had nothing else going on. So let me go check it out. And I actually just went and checked it out, oh. and it, it was transformative. Did the character in the book thinks it's only a week? Did you yeah. think it was a week at the time too? Yeah, I used that part as well uh, because <laughs> I literally showed up planning to plan a plan, walk a week and once I realized it was longer I still decided okay I was only going to do a week but by the end of the week I couldn't stop mm. just couldn't stop like I knew I didn't know where I was going but I had to go there and that's actually one of the key themes in the book it's like you know when you know you have to go through something you don't know what the what the what is going to lead but you go step by step by step into the next thing and that's where it leads you to magic mm. I, I like that you bring that up because I think a lot of us are like, well, I'm willing to go through a certain amount and I'll, I'll, I'll try to, our ego's like, okay, well, I'll just kind of construct this timeline for it. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, like I can be the one that says, this is how long this period of my life is going to take instead of surrendering to it, say, okay, I, I'm, I'm doing this and it's going to take as long as it takes. Yeah. You know, like, look, I was like, you know, these books I've written, the success I've had, but most people don't know is like I was writing obsessively, like insanely for over a decade, collecting rejection letters mm. uh, before I ever even, and sell, Love Yourself, I self-published it. Uh, but what those, those de that decade, you know, I was building startups for the nights and weekends and whenever I had time off, I was like obsessively reading Hemingway and all the greats and underlining, trying to figure out how they did what they did and writing, rewriting, sending, you know, manuscripts out. You know, just I could wallpaper a room with all those rejection letters. And, you know, and over the years, they got better and better until they became personal. They became phone calls. And in the end, I ended up just self-publishing something. But the but the ability to write truth like I did in, in the Love Yourself in such a simple manner, that came from that decade of obsessively learning to write and collecting rejection letters. You know, um, if I hadn't had that, you know, I, I would only be writing like really clever drivel where... I was able to actually just learn to write simply and truthfully. And I had to go through that process of being rejected to decide each time, okay, do I want to continue on this? If yes, all right. You know, I get depressed for a week or two after the rejection letter, round of rejection letters. And I say, okay, screw it. I want to go back and this year I'm going to you know, teach myself more and I'll be a better writer until eventually they'll chase me. It took a long time. Well, I, you know, when I, when I, I talk to some guys and I ask them, like, what's their big thing? And, and they'll, a lot of them will tell me, oh, I want to be a New York Times bestseller. I want to be a bestselling author. As if, you know, the book is just a way to get to this title. They want to be able to say best-selling author. And, and the way that you write, there's a transmission that happens. Like there's a, there's a thing that happens when I'm reading your work that it is so simple, but it is so truthful that the words seem to kind of pierce through. And I, I get into a different state of mind when I'm, when I'm reading your work. And that's a, that's a hard uh, thing to get, but I understand it because you are distilling it down to what is most essential. And um, it's it's really powerful in that way, and I, I just I appreciate you talking about that because so many of us are looking out. We 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 live in this culture where we're seeing everybody's highlight reel. We don't see the rejection oh, yeah. letters. We don't see the things that people put them, themselves through to be able to write in this way. And 
even though I've known you for a while, I didn't know that part about you. I didn't know that 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 was the path and that you that how many words were written to get down to the hundred words that really mattered, so to speak. Yeah, man. And thank you. You really nailed what I go from my writing. And really, it took that level of that obsession for becoming better at, better at this craft. And you know what? Like, this whole thing about being a New York Times bestseller, I mean, look, every author wants it. You know, it, it, it's some sort of validation. You know, let's be honest. We all have egos, right? But what is that about? What does that get you? It's your, is that like, at the, you know, you're dying and you're starting to see the light. You're saying, oh, thank God I was a New York Times bestseller. And you get to the light. Is that, I mean, really? Like, I, I mean, really, I think it's a gray the, light. It's the big gray lady light that you're going. Yeah. Like, 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 I mean, I think one has to ask himself, what is that about? Like for me, this is my fundamental uh, rule for my books, right? What I put out to the world, like if I'm gone tomorrow, I, you know, cause I don't have kids, so I can't speak about that, but I can just speak of what I put out to the world. Um, if I'm gone tomorrow, I will be okay. I will be fine because I left these books behind because mm. they will go way beyond me. They're like, because I existed. And I was able to take, distill my existence and put, put in some, some sort of a package that sends it out to the world so that, you know, others can hopefully be better, their existence can be better because I encapsulate my existence in these words. That's, that's what I, that's my whole goal for writing. Mm. And you know what? That is the kind of stuff, honestly, I think, um, if I can, has led to the success. I think Not, so. You know, like, I mean, if you look at my first drafts of when I was first writing, it was garbage. I'm so lucky I didn't get published then. It was like those rejections were the best gift I ever got. What was the garbage about it? Was it that it was more kind of egocentric and I, I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to kind I of. Mean, no, I mean, it was still me, but it was, there was a lot of ego, but it was also poor writing, you know, like to distill down to where every word that matters. I mean, that's what I, what I, sh- you know, shoot for. And it was also uh, clever, you know, close, smart and clever and witty, which hides the truth. Look, look at me. Instead of yeah, look at the message. Bingo. Oh, yes, bingo. There's so much smart and witty and clever stuff out there, and you read it a month later. Is your life better because of it? Mm. If it's not, it's garbage. That's it. I mean, that's the way that I look at this podcast. I want an interview that I do today to be relevant five, six, ten, hopefully longer, you know, years from now. Yeah. Um, instead of, okay, I need to have something to put on the schedule just so there's more downloads or whatever. And I know that that's, I'm not, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. It was like, I'm not a podcaster. I don't, that's not my that's not my main aim. My main aim is to create powerful content that changes people's lives. And it's a different thing than I got to just be publishing or I just have to like crank stuff out there so that I'm relevant or whatever. You know, and and really like if we do these things that are really full on expression of ourselves, of our talents and our passions because this talent only gets you to point A. To get to point Z, it re- requires craft, it requires work. It's like the Camino. You got to walk step by step, you know, west every day. You know, there is no shortcut. But if you do that, that results in two things. Not only does it result in, I think, success long term, because you can't put out, uh, you know, quality stuff consistently um, over the course of your life. You haven't done that. But the second is also the fulfillment that comes from I worked on it. I went through all this. I did this. And who you become in the process of actually doing the work is the best gift you can have because ultimately we're all we got. They're stuck in our heads, yeah. right? And so, like, if you walk around knowing you're capable of doing this, of like putting out to the world in a way what really matters, I mean, my God, it's the best gift I've ever given myself. Yeah, I wish I'd 
you know, if I, I wish I could go back to my like young teenage self, but dude, start now. You'll be so amazing by the time you hit your twenties, <laughs> you know? Well, I think that's it. It's like, what are you going to do that where you enjoy the process instead of just get fixated on an outcome? And oh, yeah. the guys that I talk to that are lost, I mean, they feel really lost and they've, <clears throat> they've invested so much in a certain path because they're, they're seeking this certain outcome. They're lost because they don't like the process and they're having to whatever they've they're having to, to, um, like anesthetize themselves in order to, to continue to go through the process because they don't enjoy the process, but they're so married to this outcome. And they've, they've told themselves, if I don't have this outcome, then I'm a failure. They've attached themselves to this outcome. Those guys are lost and, and it's yeah. sad. Um, but coming back to the process, even though there might be rejection letters, uh, there's something that is beautiful about really developing a craft and getting good at something and, and, and the thing that I'm getting from this is like, this is how you express yourself. Like, you're going to be gone. I'm going to be gone. But there's going to be artifacts. There's going to be things that are still around. Yeah. Who knows if they'll impact others? But there is a satisfaction of that. I did this work. It matters. Yeah. I mean, that's all we got. You know, yeah. like, that's all we got. And, I, you know, honestly, I'll be fully honest, man. Getting those re- rejection letters sucked. There was mm-hmm. nothing good about it at the time, right? Because yeah. you put so much into the work, you sent it out. But then what it, what it made me do was reach into myself and say, Okay, I'm gonna be a better writer. I'm gonna go back and like w- like learn to write better until eventually they're gonna chase me. I just have that in me. Yeah. Uh, but I I think we all have that. But as for what really matters, for some reason, for me, it was storytelling. Mm-hmm. Maybe because when I was a kid, like st- books is what like I used to escape to. You know, like yeah. like books were my escape. So like maybe because of that, storytelling is because so important to me. Everyone's got their own thing. Once you find that thing, then you got to go all in. Yeah. And, you know, like, and I, you know, it's like the, someone once asked Hemingway, what's the worst thing that can happen to a, a young writer? He said early success. Huh. Because, and he's so right, because like if I had had early success in the first few years when I was just writing and submitting, I never would have gotten my craft to the point of that where I can write what I write now. You get precious too. There's a thing of, well, this is who I am. I have to, <laughs> I got to protect yeah. this instead of, yeah. you were willing to transform it early on, right? Oh, well, I got to stick to being clever. I got to stick to this and stick to that so I don't screw it up. Well, you were willing to like, all right, let's hone it. Let's let's bring the sharper blade to it. Let's get it even better. It also took some life maturity to beat the cleverness out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious that, about know? this because you I talk you talk about the Camino, you talk about going on the Camino, and there's all these in the book. There's all these amazing lessons that are layered into this. And I mean, were you able to? I mean, did you get them at the time, being in your 20s? That did you walk off of there and be like, "Holy shit, I just got all these amazing lessons." Are you able to appreciate it, or is it now that you've that you've had a few years away from it? <laughs> I imagine it's been yeah. more than a few, but like. Yeah, like like talk about that. Like, how long did it take you for to, to really appreciate the lessons that that you encountered on that path? The core lesson I encountered on that path was the, actually one of the core lessons of the book, which is forgiveness, which sets you free. Um, that was the core lesson I have from there, and uh, so I wove that. But a lot of these other lessons that I wove in it are lessons I've learned uh, learned later later in life about you know hitting bottom and rising and saying yes to life and surrendering and loving yourself and all those things that I've layered in. Those came later. But mm. that's the beauty of storytelling, man. Like even if you base it on something that happened, you create the story. Yeah. So it's something I realized when I was writing this draft. It was like, I don't have to stay true. But uh, you know, in fact, to tell the ultimate truth, I think fiction is a much better vehicle than nonfiction. Fiction is the best way to tell the truth. It's also the hardest way because it requires real craft. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't, you can't skim on fiction. 
No. Well, let's talk about forgiveness for a second. Like, what is? Tell us a little bit about that. Let's whatever you feel comfortable revealing without you know giving away too much in the story. Well, when I walked the Camino, it was after the death of my father, which is actually what the same thing this character is doing. And we all have. It's a classic thing in in the human journeys. You know, the father son relationships. You know, when the father's gone, there's things that the son has to deal with. It. it it's just a standard thread in all human history. And so I took that and. Um, the whole thing about him having to forgive the shortcomings of his father mm-hmm. and how that actually sets him free to go live his life, mm-hmm. which actually I've learned forgiveness actually sets us free. Mm. You know, it's not even setting the other person free. It's, forgiveness is actually the most beautifully selfish thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I had a valuable lesson. You know, my mother took her own life when I was 13. I oh think for God. another 13 years, wow. I walked around as the most self-righteous like you, you dicked me over. How dare you? Like there was, there was a, there was a, a false sense of power in that victimization, that victimhood that I carried around. And wow. she's gone, right? <laughs> so it's just, it was just eating me alive to be yeah. in that position. And I remember going through this process and finally forgiving her. I thought it, there was no way, there was no way I would ever forgive her because it was just such this powerful thing. And, um, and, but once I did, it was like somebody lift a thousand pounds off of my shoulders. I, I, when you yeah. say it was free, like it really felt, uh, tremendously free from that. And, um, just how much energy it took to be, to continue to yes. live in that injustice. Yeah. And it's anything, man, relation into relationships or business or whatever, you know, like you've been in business long enough, you get screwed by people. I had this amazing conversation with a very talented entrepreneur, I guess a very successful guy and how he literally just got screwed, like so unethically, so illegally. And, you know, it was like when he was finally able to just let go of it, it's actually he was able to finally sleep and rebuild, mm. you know. And I've learned that it's the same lesson myself, man. It's like if forgiveness is like is for yourself. Yeah. You know, it's almost like screw the other person. You're forgiving them for yourself. Yeah. And you can't fake it either. And which otherwise you're not gonna just write a book, say, hey, step one, forgive the other. Yeah, step two, easy. Forgive Done. yourself. Step three. You know? <laughs> but that's why like fiction's so good, because you get to see what this character goes through to reach forgiveness. And while he's going and learning this, it's being layered inside the reader as well. Mm. Right. And I think it's it's these this it really is a great um <clears throat> like forgiveness, the whole feeling of injustice, whatever, we're the one who are actually weighing ourselves down. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it was a core lesson I learned walking Camino Santiago, so I kept it as a core lesson in the book. There was a powerful thing that you mentioned in the book, and and it was you know that that identification. I think um, I've got the quote here. It says, "To think your hurt is special is nonsense. Mm. We all have pain. It is not your wound that makes you special. It is the light that shines through that does." I remember the character kind of being taken aback. Like, wait a second, this is. That's mm-hmm. this is who am I without this wound? Who am I if I'm not pissed off at dad or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I, 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 when I wrote that, and it's a French guy telling him, and one of those lines he says in French, I so loved writing it. When I sat back and saw what I'd written, I was like, my God, this encapsulates fundamentally such a truth. If one just incorporates this truth in their life, they'll be free. Mm. You um, know, and it's something that I fully believe in. Yeah, I really believe in because otherwise we get stuck in victimhood. Victimhood yeah. serves, you know, who serves the least is us. Absolutely. You know, the victim, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, whereas if you realize, like, the one of the core things I've learned is everyone's got pain. You could be born a silver spoon in your mouth, you know, and have the what looks from outside the best life, but pain, the emotion of pain still exists. You're a human being, mm-hmm. right? And whether X causes pain for a Y person or Z causes pain for a B person, pain is pain. 
Mm. And and so like we walk around thinking, well, um, my pain is special because I experienced this, but no one else has experienced it. So mine, you know, I'm, no, it's pain is pain. And like, it's what we do with it. It's who we become through it that actually really, you know, like if you want to be great in life, that's what makes our greatness. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there was another conversation in the book, uh, basically boiled down to instead of asking why me, why now, why here, why this, you could ask now what? Now that this now has what? happened, what are you going to do? Uh, another powerful moment to get out of that victim mindset. Yeah. I mean, that was actually a lesson. Someone actually was a, someone told me when I was walking to me in the Santiago, I never forgot that. It was an Episcopal priest from North Carolina, and I was talking to him, and he told me that. I mean, like, that itself is transformative, hmm. you know? These are all, the thing is, these all require work. These all require us shifting out of our, you know, blame mindset and our victim mindset, which I don't know why it's normal for us. It just is as human beings. But man, these are the, these are the, these are the tools that set us free. Simple. Very like simple. So simple. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very simple. It, just for the listener out there, if you're listening to this and you, and there's a great book called the power of Ted T E D, which stands for the empowerment dynamic. Um, highly recommended goes into this victim mindset. I, I don't know how many guys that I talk to that you just listen to their language. It, it's, it's, it's revealing that they're still in this victim mentality and they're, and which is another way of saying they're still expecting themselves to take care of others and be responsible for others. And it's just a, it's a freaking mess. So, um, yeah, great points in this book and also check out the power of Ted by David Emerald. There's some great stuff in there. Um, I'll check it out. You know, honestly, I fall, I mean, I think, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I fall into that sometimes in different parts of my life. You know, some parts of my life I've, I've, I've nailed down, you know, and I think I got the whole thing figured, but then these things pop up. They're like, it's a whack-a-mole game, right? It'll pop up in other parts of your life that you just don't even pay attention to. It's, it's also became, starting to pay attention to your life. The, it's like the mind is like a really tricky monkey that you're just playing whack-a-mole with. Yeah. Um, and it just requires, you know, constantly doing these things. And I think if you do one part of your life, it like starts to like just shift to other parts of your life as well. But I think we're always going to be stuck with this human mind. That's all we got. And and it's a beautiful thing because it's what creates poetry and music and put men on, you know, put men on Mars someday <laughs> right. or women on Mars, you know, just the whole. Um, but it also has this monkey nature. And I think one of the things is realizing, realizing that that's just how we are, you know, so rather than fighting it, say, OK, that's how we are. How do I manage the monkey and make it work for me rather than me, you know, the monkey managing me? Right. Yeah, it's just an acceptance of this is the this is the software we got now. What yeah. am I going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, instead of throwing our hands up and being like, "Well, I've got a monkey mind. That's all. That's the best I can do." It's like, no, come on. We just work with it. We got to yeah. got to update it. You know, you talk about that. I like how, that you mentioned that because I think there is in our personal development jackass orientation. Like, oh, okay, I'm on this. <laughs> I'm on this path, and I'm making myself better. Like, I should know better. I should. There's this pressure. Like, I already read this book, therefore I should kind of have this stuff figured out. And, and I like that you mentioned like, no, we're it's, evolution's messy, man. And it's, mm-hmm. and uh, there are guys that I talk to that are, they run their companies really powerfully and they know how to lead and they know how to delegate and give responsibility. And then when we talk about their relationships, they still treat their wives as if they're their mother or, uh, or they're, they're, or like somehow their wives are maybe not their mother, but they're like a princess to be taken care of and protected instead of a, of a, of a peer a colleague uh, in that way. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just powerful. Like I just, I'm like, well, how would you treat if this was, you know, on this level? And they're like, Oh my gosh, I never thought about that. I'm still doing this thing where I'm treating this person like they're a seven year old girl. And, uh, 
or they're, or they're my mother instead of a person, a person who can create and make choices for themselves. It's, it's, uh, yeah, we have those wake up, those wake up moments there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's part of being human, right? Yeah. I think the nature of being human is making mistakes. <laughs> it really is. Well, yeah, and, and being willing to definition. talk about it, right? Like being willing to talk about it like this instead of put it on the, oh, it's always about the high, the social media highlight reel. Oh, good God, man. That whole thing. That, I have a big beef with actually a lot of people in self-help. You know, they, it's just like a lot of modern stuff you see, man. It's like, you know, this, this is a facade. You I'm know? glad you bring that up because I get I don't know how many I like you know, I get notes from publicists every day. You gotta have this guy, you gotta have that guy getting letters and this and I'm just uninterested. I, I want the grit. Like I want show me the real person. Show me the yeah. guy that didn't get it right. Um because yeah. that's my that's the guy my listener is gonna be able to relate to. That's the guy I can relate to. And also he's honest. The ones who are always kill quote unquote killing it are so lying. They're like ducks with like paddling furiously underneath the water. You just don't <laughs> see that. Yeah. You know. It's, it's really, yeah. I mean, I've met some, I've been fortunate, I've met some really amazing people in self-help who are the real deal, but I'd say they're the minority. Like Cheryl Richardson, who I uh, did Take Time for Your Life, huge Oprah author. She and I connected because of my first book, and she's become a dear friend, and she's the real deal. She fully lives. And just, you know, and she, like, expresses her humanity, like her faults and everything, and fully lives what she, what she writes about. Mm. Um, she's unfortunately rare yeah. in, this, in this space. Yeah, I, you know it's amazing. You know, you got the you got the folks that are out there that are the winners, the achievers, the the performers. You know, they're they're the brightest. They're the shine. They're the ones that are going to say, "Hey, look at me." They're the ones that are going to you know go on this path. But I, it's a distortion of reality um, that they're you know for every one of those guys, there's ten that are out there that have their own. They're in the Dagobah system doing their thing. They're teaching you know Jedi's here and there. You just yeah. don't hear about them, and but they're 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 out there. They're doing great work and. They don't need the publicity. They don't need to to be in the limelight, so to speak. So, and I don't want to take anything away from the guys out there that are doing the work and they're in the limelight. But it's not it's not the whole picture. That that's that, yeah. that's not what's yeah. what's what's needed. So, um, I, I love one of the things that you talk about in the book uh, um, about fear. You know, where where we feel most alive is facing our fear. So many guys are out there. They're they're bored. They're not enjoying life and um you come back to this idea of like well where we feel most alive is when we're facing our fears and where you face your deepest fears there's magic we grow our yeah. wings when we jump off the cliff now that sounds like a bunch of new age yep bullshit so i i want to bring this up like what do you what do you mean by that well first of all in the book i you know that's why i, I love telling that in the story because you can actually see how he does it ends up doing it mm -hmm. you know so it's not just platitudes you know you don't want to write just exposition you know, like just lectures, right? Yeah. So, uh, but it's something I've learned in my life, man. Look, I've built companies. I've been in the military. You know, I've done things that are just people consider very, very stupid now. But looking back, they consider me very smart for it. You know, at the time, no <laughs> one was supporting it. You know, like. <clears throat> um, you were so it, brilliant it, to go have all those yeah. missteps. <laughs> yeah, bingo, right? It's like someone like, you know, I, I was like, how can I get, I want to get to where you are. I'm like, dude, it was a series of just fuck ups. <laughs> it was just a series of nonstop fuck ups. You know, the only thing I got is I learned from it. I try to be better and just fuck up differently the next time. Yeah, it That's wasn't, a, it wasn't a big plan. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually, there's a beauty in that too because you develop a faith in yourself to to be better through whatever you go through. Mm. Like, so the stuff I was talking about, like for example, when I was first, you know, the dot-com boom was happening and I was in Rochester, New York, living a safe life and, but like, 
there was something special happening out there, and I was thinking about going there, but I was scared because it was like a, it was like a completely different from what I was doing. And I remember I was um, I was at Gold's Gym working with this guy named Larry Rappaport. We used to work out together, and I still remember that night. We were in the we were in the basement of the Gold's Gym. I think only, only him and I, and we were like spotting each other. I was telling him, about, you know, I'm thinking about moving out there, but I'm kind of scared because it's completely different. What if I you know, go there, I can't get a job, I failed, blah, blah, mm. you know, all the usual BS stuff. And, uh, and I was, but at the time I really meant it. And he said, look at me, he goes, Kamal, I got one thing to say to you. I'm like, what man? He goes, leap and the net will appear. And I was like, oh Jesus. And I actually, that week I got rid of everything. I got a one way ticket and within a month I was gone and I went there and it was not easy, but then it started working and it changed my life. It was the best career decision I ever made. Hmm. But the key is, and then what I learned there is, um, and which I talk about in the book is like we always like look for the because I had nothing set there, I had no jobs there lined up there. You had to like because the internet, you know, right. people are building the internet then. It's like you couldn't get a job from upstate New York to go there. I didn't have the any any relevant experience, whatever. You just had to leap and go figure it out, and that's the net. I think right? that, well, that's the part I want to drill into is that there's a there's a there was a grit part there. There was a part where you had to roll up your sleeves and do the work. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, the wings appeared, but they appear in the sense of like you drilling in and doing the work, right? That the opportunity's there and you got to drill in. It's not like, oh my God, I showed up and then I was suddenly a multimillionaire. (laughs) And I think that's what people see or imagine in their heads when the wings appear that suddenly they're safe and they don't have to do the work or whatever. So I think there's another part to this that I want to add in. It's so easy to just kind of gloss over. You're so right. That's like, you know, it's like what we described what's a startup like? It's like, you know, jumping off off a cliff and then building yourself a plane on the way down. Yeah, the way down. That's I mean, and you know, entrepreneurship is a great way to actually leap off cliffs, right? You mm. got to make it work, and you're going to be every day. You're going to be challenged in ways that you haven't been challenged before. Yeah, What's I metaphor for this. I was having a conversation with a with a client the other day. He's made some big life changes recently. has a has a family, and and he, you know, these were these were serious choices that he made to. to to put himself in this in this scenario and and he was kind of like what happened i thought the the wings were supposed to show up and and and, but he had it in this thing like there was something out there right spirit's gonna come along and take care of me that spirit's gonna catch me right the the net's gonna catch me and i was like no spirit's gonna show up but it's gonna show up as you doing the work now yeah right there's it's not gonna be some external thing where you win the lottery or somebody sees you walking down the street and says you're the perfect guy for my whatever thing um, yeah, he he was wanting it to be external, and I said, "No, I want you to see you as that. Like it's going to come through you and as you and express as you in this." Um, and that's where you know, be open to that possibility. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. That's what creates the opportunity. Yeah, you know, you is is opportunity is not just just being there. Opportunity is actually being there and being value, creating value. You create enough value, opportunity comes. Yeah, yeah. I want to get it out of this kind of fantasy Disney kind of a thing. Um, there are magical things that happen when you put yourself out there Bingo. and you put yourself there. Like it's not going to happen. Nobody from Silicon Valley was going to go find you in Rochester. You had to. No. You had to go there and, and get in there. I had but to the, go there and like to get rejected by a lot of companies, and then just like but keep pushing, and then all of a sudden I ended up being part of a company that became quite successful. Right. You know? but right. I had to be there. You yeah. had. I had to be there. I had to be working, knocking the doors. You know? Yeah. You don't catch the wave unless you paddle out. Yeah, and you might get thumped pretty good paddling out. And so. you do, man. And it's okay. Like life, life is not a just a you know. I mean, we don't. We could just sleep our way through life in a coma if we want. That's a you know. That's a 
but life is going to, it's part of life is thumps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, it helps, you know, one of the, one of the things I appreciate about the book, if we come back to the book was there is this awareness of death throughout, right? There's the story of the death of the main character's father, the, the working through that there's, there's quite a bit of stories around the relationship with death, but it's, it's also a gift to help mm-hmm. us see the value of our life and how we want to choose to live it. Can you talk a little bit about that? How, what, what the role of death in the, in the book? Well, yeah, ultimately death, you know, and in fact, it's also like you talk about, you know, hitting bottom and rising because without death, you can't have rebirth. Mm. I mean, look, the book is called Rebirth. You cannot skip death. And the way I approach death in the book is not like some depressing, terrible thing. It's, it's a part of life, but it also it's a part of life that he learns lessons from. Mm. You know, including someone he meets along the way, like uh, one woman facing cancer and how it actually gave her a life. You know, and it, she teaches something very important that he starts to apply throughout the rest of the journey that transforms his life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, including like a woman who talked, talk, tells him about the near death experience she had and what she learned from there and so forth. I think, <clears throat> you know, it, if, if really our, if our evolution is a journey, uh, in the rebirth, when we become that Phoenix, that, that best part of us that does not come without actually going to the, to the bottom. Yeah. That's when the Phoenix rises from the bottom. The Phoenix doesn't, you know, you look at any image it's rising from the bottom. So that, that's what the whole thing about death is and the metaphor of death is. And, you know, death is death of a relationship, death of a business, death of this, death of whatever. You know, de- death is not, it doesn't have to be the final death. Mm. Um, but it is an important concept that, you know, honestly, I wish we, I, I need to meditate on more often. It's like, look, the samurai, right? Meditating on their death every day. Right. Which allow them to go become these amazing, amongst some other things, these amazing warriors. Die before they like, go into battle. Yeah. So you're, you know, like if you if you um, face your mortality, I think it. The irony is, as if we accept our mortality at a visceral level, it makes us our lives far better. Because hmm. really, like if you find out, you know, like if you're gonna die, that you're gonna die tomorrow, what's this day gonna be like? Mm-hmm. You're definitely gonna smell that flower. You're yeah. definitely gonna, you know, like. <laughs> There's no more waiting, right? There's no more waiting for the good stuff or the yeah. that magic thing to come along and discover you and save you and all that other kind of shit. Maybe I'll try a practice like that. You know, come, you know me. I come up with my own practices. I do them and see how they work. About on, on meditating on my death, yeah, on a daily basis and see how I start to live from that place. Yeah, I just yeah. know the time, man. My first career was in clinical research. I used to work in um, level one emergency department uh, ERs, so it was trauma research. You know, I've seen maybe like over a thousand people die in front of me. Wow. You know, in those four years, you know, and so you, you know, me being me and you know, any of us, like I used to think a lot, you know, like I think about it and, and none of these people, cause it was trauma. These are people in bad accidents that were brought in. And I used to think about like this guy got up this morning or this woman got, you know, this, let's say a guy got up this morning and shaved and put on his tie and went to work, not knowing this would be it. Hmm. You know, like. And Two hours ago, they were on their doing their they thing, were, and yeah. they were compl- you know they were stuck in traffic, complaining, and then all of a sudden, a truck came out of nowhere. That's it. You know, um, and it's like, but that's that's. I mean, that was the reality of life I saw every day. Yeah, and you know what? To be able to see that, you know, in some ways, is a gift. Because um, look, we all no one gets out of here alive. You no know, and I think, and I think the biggest. The most irresponsible thing we can do is think we, you know, what was it the Buddha said? The trouble is you think you have time. <laughs> I like that. You know, it really is. I mean, it's, if you think about it, if you just live that, it's so irresponsible 
the way I live my life or just any, I think as humans living, we live our lives as we're going to live forever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I say, as you get older, I said, I, I was telling someone, the only difference is internally, I can feel the passage of time. Hmm. So that I can feel the cost of my decisions in the, in the currency of my time. Hmm. I can feel it. Right. That's a gift. That is a gift. It's, and it's a, there's a tension there. And I want to, that's the thing I want to speak to is there's a, there's a tension that comes with that. It takes a little bit of effort too to stay in that awareness. And I think that's what most guys are trying to avoid. They're trying to avoid tension. They're trying to avoid effort. They want, they're looking for comfort. Many guys will get into a uh, spiritual practice or a personal development because they're looking for an easier way. They're tired of bumping their asses along and they just want to feel more comfortable. And I want to, that's, if they're looking for the escape, they're, they're going to create more of that thing we're talking about you don't want. But if you come back to, if I'm willing to put some effort in, if I'm willing to hold that tension and be with that tension, that the reality is, is that we don't have that time. We don't know what's going to come. Um, then it, we're going to make more powerful choices from that place. But I think that's, that's what I, it comes down to is just a lot of guys just don't want to do the, that little bit of work or have to hold that perspective as they go about their life. They just want to be free of that tension. And I'll, and I'll speak up. There's just times where at the end of the day, I don't want any more tension. I don't want any yeah, more yeah. people in my life. Like, I really want to just unplug and be a complete moron. But uh, yeah, I, I want to speak to that because I think if that's the most practical part is like, oh, yeah. I'm looking. For, am, am I looking for ways to get away from tension? Am I looking for ways to get away from having to make an effort? And if that's true, then you're going in the other direction than what you and I are talking about here. Yeah, I was just thinking about the, the you know the, what you're describing is a met, and the metaphor of the samurai. Like, imagine if we had an image in our mind of us as a samurai with a sword out, facing life. You know, how would we live our life as a warrior? You know, like, what would that be like? Mm-hmm. Do we have time for fear? You know, like there's so much stupid things I've not done in my life or done in my life because of fear, man. That's my only regrets. Like yeah. I didn't open my heart fully and that's fear. Yeah. You know, I didn't do, I didn't like go all out there. Why? That was fear. Yeah. You know, like, and all the greatest things I've done in my life and my personal life that I consider great have all been actually doing it despite the fear. Got to do it anyway. I, you didn't have a green light that said it's totally safe. You can do oh, it fuck. now. Nothing good happens there. <laughs> it's you be in a coma, you know, like yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where the that's... good stuff is. <laughs> well, I, you know, it goes the other way. Cause I work with some coaches. I do. I, I work, I, I help other coaches build their practice and they're hiding out. Right. Like nobody knows what they do. Nobody knows how they help. And I'm like, let's get it. You got to get it out there. You got to show up in the world. And I'm like, but I'm scared. Somebody might reject me. Somebody might not like what I have to say or argue with me or something. It's like, that's it. So you go hide somewhere, <laughs> nobody knows what you do, and you don't serve. People's yeah. lives aren't impacted for the better because of that. You don't give your gift because you're afraid to put it out there. I just, it, it's just like, you know, smack your, your, your palm to your forehead. Like, you're not serving because you're afraid. And also, actually, you know, it's, it's almost like, I think fear could be an evolutionary guide, but in a positive way. Fear could be, a, you know, because versus like, okay, don't walk into that flaming inferno. Fair enough. That's, that's legit, right? That's good stuff, but, yeah. But that's, it's valid. But otherwise, fear could be actually a guide saying, go there. Mm. We keep thinking, don't go there. Right. Why? What if it's just a guide saying, go there? Like, go into that. Go do that. This scares you. You know, actually putting this book out, I've worked so hard on this book. I put so much into this book. 
and I'm terrified of putting it out. How come? What? Why? I'm, you know, the usual. Will it be, will it, will it be as good as I hoped it to be? Will it, what will people think? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are people are going to know me better after reading this because there's so much of me in here. There's so much of what I've learned in life in here. Mm-hmm. It's scary, man. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. It's a lot and, easier to not do it. Oh God, yeah, it's right, a lot easier. Like, you know, like if I wanted to play it safe, I would just write business books. So easy, you know, like at least for me, right? Because I've done yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I'm a good writer that I could just do that. But there's, but look, first book, you know, Love Yourself, right? It was not, not it was like, it was terrifying, but I put it out and putting it out changed my life. Yeah. You know, so like the fact that I'm terrified of putting, like scared when I was getting ready to put this book out and I sold it to Hachette. And look, they're one of the biggest publishers in the world and they believe, they believe in it. You know, the head of Hachette wanted to be the editor for it. Mm. Yet despite all those, those, uh, you know, by the way, you know, as a, I remember dreaming about that kind of stuff for a decade and to finally get it, you know, you do get there, but it takes the work I put it. And <laughs> it, it is like, if you better like punishment, man, I took a lot of punishment, but I got here. Right. Yeah. And yet even besides that, even despite all the validity and all the great reviews I'm getting from like, dude, I sent the, the book to the writer of on golden pond. The guy wrote won his first Oscar at 28. He's an unbelievable writer. He's, I spoke to him yesterday and he's just mad crazy about this book he loves his book yeah. right um but yet i'm terrified yeah and but that tells me do it it's actually for my personal growth do it put you're it gonna, out you're there. gonna die anyway yeah <laughs> you know you're gonna be dead and long forgotten <laughs> by people who are dead and long forgotten you're gonna you know? be dead anyway <laughs> why not put it out yeah why not put it out I, you know one of the things that helps me i actually have this on my lock screen on my phone is don miguel ruiz talks about it's all just a dream it, it helps me it just okay. helps me unearth this, like, oh, it's it's it, it 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 it's a way to play with that demon, right? That that fear demon that that can be so convincing that says you're going to die if you put out a book, which is different than you're going to die if you walk into the wall of fire, right? So, yeah. but yeah, it's just you know, it, that's just a dream. It's just a dream. That's perfect. I love it. It is a dream, and it's like that's perfect. I'm actually gonna. What I have in mind is is a quote by Rumi. It's uh, li- live. As if live your live as if your everything in life is rigged in your favor. (laughs) Whatever happens, it's rigged in your favor because we don't know what's ten steps down the road. You don't. You You know know. that's that that is actually you know that's actually one of the key lessons of his book as well because he has to like go on faith going forward, not knowing where it's going to take him, but that's where his heart's leading him, and look, it leads him to exactly what he needs. That's it. We need those right. little reminders. I, I've got to find new ones all the time. It's, it's, you know, it'll be that Rumi quote. It'll be the Don Miguel Ruiz thing. It'll, it's, but it's always, I, the fear thing comes back. It's so convincing. It's, it's almost tangible. Like you can put your hands out and touch it. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. no. I got to come back. I got to find another way to, to, to remind myself that it's not real. Uh, yeah. And, and actually, in the subtitle of the book, I was going to put in, you know, a uh, fable of uh, love. Uh, forgiveness, facing your fears and following your heart. It just got too long. Yeah. But there's a lot of this book is about facing your fears and moving forward. And that's where like they're all the subtle, beautiful shifts happen that lead us to actually a freedom and our personal greatness. That's it. That's it. And that's where we, you, you have no idea who's watching. You have no idea who is around you that'll be impacted by that. You, yeah. you, you do the thing that scares you and somebody else, it's, it's contagious. And so he's like, wow, I didn't know that was possible. And, and you just never know who you're inspiring and who you're impacting. I'm not saying that's why you would do it, but it's beautiful when we see people, you know, others that do something that we didn't think was possible and then they do it and they make it, oh, wow, I guess if she could do it, I could do it. And, yeah, and we're yeah. on our way. So yeah, a lot better. 
Man, I, I, I could, we could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have to hang out again. Uh, yeah. Go out there. Kamal Ravikant. It, the new book is Rebirth, A Fable of Love, Forgiveness, and Following Your Heart. Grab anyone it. Can, like, if anyone can find it at rebirthfable.com. It's in a, it's a little bit in bookstores and Amazon comes on January 3rd. But if you want to read up more on it, I, you know, I set up your traditional page about it, uh, rebirthfable.com. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a special book, man. I hope people enjoy it. I hope it serves them well. You crushed it. This this stands to be it's up there. It's a classic. It really is. It's just it's a it's one of those books that would be so easy to give to somebody that's new to this path, but also wants a refresher. Wants to just find a a, a way to just like, oh yeah, I remember this. Thank you. So uh, thank you, man. All right, my man. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're doing this love work and, and and putting this out there. Go get the book, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next time, man. All right. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.